Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshe Amit Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Akre Mot, Scapegoating and Responsibility. Have you ever been involved in an anti-Semitic incident? I hope you're not asking if I've ever perpetrated one. Um, no, but, <laughs> no. But, but if you if you want to share that, um, uh, no, I'm sure I, people I, would be very interested in that too. I've been pretty fortunate. I don't recall any, you know, any horrifying anti-Semitic incidents. I do remember in high school once I was in school after hours and I saw some kids in, a, in an empty classroom and I walked in to see what they were doing and they were writing swastikas on the, on the, on the blackboard. And um, I walked in and said, Hey guys, you can even do erase those, you know, that was uh, and and they did. And that was the end of it. So I think I've been, like I said, pretty fortunate overall. Did you report it? No, I just told them to erase it, and they did, and I I let it go. They weren't s- students from our school. They were um, they were in school for some after for something that was going on after after school. They weren't students at our school. Wow, that's an interesting story. I I, I also have been um, thankfully I've actually been spared a direct anti-Semitic acts. I remember there was a fight after a foot after a football game when I was in high school. And I remember someone shouting, you're a dirty Jew and all that. And I was stunned to hear that. So Mm. I think it's, you know, it's interesting that I think our generation has been largely uh, spared in many ways from that. And then our young people are also, we're seeing more and more that people are waking up to the possibility of anti-Semitism. And in our age, as these numbers keep going up and up and up, it's kind of hard to escape in our society. And it's hard not to feel like a scapegoat at times. Oh, yeah. There's no question that a big part of anti-Semitism is rooted in scapegoatery, if I can invent that word, um, that, you know, people are looking to take out their angers, their frustrations, and they blame the Jews, just like, um, well, we're not the only people who've been used as scapegoats, but we've been pretty consistently used that way. Did you know that the origin of the word scapegoat or the concept of scapegoat is in this week's portion? Wow, that's quite a coincidence. Can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. The Torah never ceases to amaze me. Right. As as someone in um, Pirkei Avot once said, his name is Ben Bagbag, which is, of course, a name that many parents want to name their children. He said, turn it over and over again. Everything is in it, speaking of the Torah. So that's what we find in the pen and the odd, that there's always something in there. But in this week's portion, which is Acharemot, you have Aaron, who is being instructed in regards to the laws of Yom Kippur and how to win atonement with God. And in one ceremony, which we recount every Yom Kippur, they, they take two identical goats, and one is designated for holiness, and the other is designated for Azazel. And without going into all of the interpretations of Azazel, what's important for this conversation is that the priest will lay his hands on this goat designated for Azazel and basically transfer all of the sins of Israel onto this goat. And then the goat is killed. So this is a very physical understanding of sin. 
and the notion that you could actually transfer it, but it's not lost on anyone that this goat did nothing to deserve it, but the sins of society were placed upon it. So, first of all, you can easily see where Christianity develops this idea in terms of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But mm -hmm. secondly, our people have, as you well know, lived this idea from generation to generation where societies have placed the sins of its time on the heads of its Jewish population. Yeah, it's so interesting. And when you mentioned Jesus Christ, it's like you're... Um... You know, this, it strikes me that there's a fine line between the scapegoat and the martyr. Sometimes we're heaping the sins on someone who doesn't deserve it, and then that, that scapegoat can become a symbol for bigger things. There's no question about it. And Jews have, because Jews live kind of a, a different life, they eat differently, they observe the Sabbath differently, they're practiced, they dress differently for much of our history, we became kind of an easy target in a xenophobic society where we became othered in every possible way. And so we became, in a way, the scapegoat of that. And by the way, if you look in the book of Isaiah, there's a whole chapter on the suffering servant, which Christians relate to Jesus, that there is a person who all of the sins of humankind are heaped upon. Well, they believe that person is Jesus, but probably, at least from a Jewish perspective, the prophet Isaiah is writing about the Jewish people at large who are suffering in exile as a result of their sins, the sins of humanity, because they're brought into the world ostensibly to be a light to the nations. So this idea has a very, goes back to the origins of our people, but has been a constant subject over and over again. It's so interesting. You know, there's something really tempting about creating scapegoats. It's, it allows us a way to focus our anger. Uh, but I also wonder about the psychological downsides of it. You know, what are we not looking at? How um, much are we, you know, refusing to look at our own sins? Are we excusing ourselves by heaping our, our sins on the scapegoat? I've been thinking about a very different kind of a scapegoat lately. And you hear me talk about Martin Luther King pretty often, but very often the, the, the scapegoats in that story are the people who attacked Martin Luther King, the people we blame for, for really destroying this great hero are people like Bull Connor and, and J. Edgar Hoover. Those are people who deserve to be blamed for their racist behavior and their antagonism of, of, of King who was trying to make this a better country. But at the same time, are we refusing to look at our own complicity, at the broader complicity of society when we heap our complaints on people like Connor and J. Edgar Hoover. Um, when we look at the FBI's campaign against against MLK, for example, we have to remember that, that Robert Kennedy authorized the wiretaps, that LBJ encouraged them. Many, many officials within the FBI, within Congress, within the, within, um, the news media, perpetuated this, knew about it and allowed it to continue. So are we just letting ourselves off the hook a little bit, failing to really self-examine when we blame everything on, on one person? Well, I think that that's, I think that's a great question. And, and I think the answer is yes. It's much easier to point at the one bad guy here because sometimes it's scarier to see how complicit the larger society is. I think that's certainly part of the national conversation in America today in terms of how we, under, you know, in terms of reparations and how we mm -hmm. understand that and how 
than the need for America as a nation to apologize, to find a way to, in a sense, bringing this back to the portion of making tshuva, right, which is the underpinning of, of Yom Kippur. How do we do that? And part of tshuva is actually looking inside and saying, this is where I'm responsible. This is how I'm complicit. And, you know, the debate about what's being taught in public schools shows just how hard it is to look away from the Bull Connors, the Ku Klux Klan, the, you know, Confederacy, the minority of people in this country that fly the stars and bars on their cars and things like that mm-hmm. and say they're the problem, as opposed to saying there's a larger, more endemic problem. And by the way, this also applies to Jews, right? We look at Germany and we tend to say this was the Nazis. The Nazis did this, right? They rose up. They did this. When if you look at Lithuania, for instance, the nation at large were largely collaborators. Neighbors killed their Jewish neighbors. But that was so horrifying to say that we were being scapegoated by the whole society that we don't want to admit that. We don't want to look at that. That's too terrifying. No, and even now when we look at the rise in anti-Semitic incidents in this country, there's a tendency just to blame it on Trump or on Fox News. Um, But we are not looking at the broader issues and we're not looking at what we can be doing ourselves to fight back. We tend to to compartmentalize to try to make it more comprehensible. Look, people who have more liberal views often don't want to look at anti-Semitism that flows out of much of the anti-Israel rhetoric or some of the anti-Israel rhetoric, right? We don't want to look at that. So it's easier to look to the right. And people on the right tend to look to people on the left. That's the real danger. We tend to pass off on the ones that that we relate to so we can look at the other boogeyman. So getting back to the issue of where the scapegoat began with heaping our sins for Yom Kippur on a goat and sacrificing the goat, can we look back on that and, and learn something from it? Was it a mistake? Should we have handled our sins ourselves? I don't think that the Torah ever thought that it really took away your sins. I think the idea was that it is possible to do that. Do we understand ourselves as saying, I can't change. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I, you know, this is how it's always going to be. I think the notion that you're watching this goat be put to death and with it, taking your sins with it also implants the idea that it is possible for us to change, that change is possible, that we don't have to continue this cycle. I don't know what you think of that idea, but I think there's something very physical and visual about that that I think has an impact. No, no question. And I think that's a great message that, you know, we can move past our sins and we can also move past our need to blame mistakes on singular people or on scapegoats in general, that we can, we can own our own mistakes and learn from them. Well, let me ask you a different question. And this is a, this is a hard question. Not that the rest of these questions weren't hard, but what makes this question hard is we have to look at ourselves. Does our history of scapegoating serve as a form of armor for us? And does it get in the way of our looking at ourselves? Do we, are we immune from self-criticism? And, and because we have a history of being scapegoated, do we use that to not look at ourselves? I think you could argue that that's been the case. Now, I wouldn't say we're immune. I would say we are reluctant 
to look at our own sins. And if you look back at the earlier example I gave about how this country treated Dr. King, Northern liberals were not really rushing to his defense when King started talking about segregation in the North. They, they, they went to, to fight for him. They went down to Selma to march. But when he came to Chicago and said, you got to integrate the schools here, we're not out there um, in the same numbers. We, we found it more difficult to confront our own behavior. So it was easier for us to blame Bull Connor, but more difficult for us to look in the mirror. So I think it is something that, that we have to address. Look, I think we can apply this to Israel. I think that because Israel is often unfairly vilified and held to a different standard than almost any other country, we have a tendency to be guarded about criticism. And yet Israel is like any other country. And when things go wrong or leaders in Israel do say the wrong things, I think as American Jews, for at least when I was growing up, and certainly for much of my rabbinate, we were very reticent to be public about our criticism. This idea that, you know, that we're just adding fuel to the fire. We're not going to talk about it because, you know, we're just giving them a pass then to hate Israel. So we can only focus on positives. We can only kind of contextualize why this is happening as if to explain it away. When oftentimes you sort of wonder to yourself, say, gosh, this was not, this isn't right, but where do you take it? And so this kind of history of being scapegoated and the fact that Israel is often scapegoated sort of has prevented us from speaking out. And I think our children and the younger generation have sort of seen through this. And part of the tension today is with young people saying, hey, you, you didn't tell us the full story. Yeah, we're really seeing that now. And, and you've been outspoken on that as well, that there comes a time when we have to really challenge our basic assumptions and stand up for what's right at our core and really think beyond just our loyalty to Israel, but to think about the big picture. Look, we can love and criticize, but we shouldn't be allowed. And I think this is also part of that self-respect, self-reflection, that introspection. That idea of tshuva is that we have to look in as well into ourselves and be willing to criticize ourselves as individuals but also our people as well and kind of find the balance without always worrying about, well, we're just giving fodder to the anti-Semites of the world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.